Kaiju Island, a show where a kaiju veteran and a kaiju newbie watch giant monster movies and talk about them. I'm Andrew. And I'm Amanda. So Amanda, have you ever considered uh, how exciting a role in a kaiju movie would be? I feel like that would be a lot of fun. I have been practicing running away and screaming while staring at nothing. Yeah. And, you know, they're remaking movies all the time. So you might even get a chance to be in one of these older movies that we're watching. Like Gorgo? No. You certainly <laughs> would not have a chance to be in Gorgo because there's not any women in the movie. I'm pretty sure there was two speaking roles for women who each got one line. Yeah. Did they have names? No. I think it was like Reporter 1 and Reporter 2. Exactly. Well, now that you've crushed my dreams, why don't we talk about it? Yeah. We watched Gorgo this time. We did. We did. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was that bad. Okay. I've seen this movie like four or five times. (laughs) Does it get better with each round? No, it doesn't. I'm mad at myself for having seen it as many times as I have. It was fun the first time, maybe the second time. One of those times I watched it as Mystery Science Theater. I feel like that would improve it. Yeah. And then it just gets worse. (laughs) It gets worse. It gets worse. So why did they even make this movie? Well... First of all, Gorgo is a, for those who are not aware, Gorgo is a British slash American kaiju movie made 1961. What else do we know that came out in 1961, Amanda? Mothra. Mothra came out in 1961. And I would say that the fact that we can directly compare those two movies makes Gorgo even worse. <laughs> because they're so similar in plot. They've got kind of a kind of a similar like overarching plot, yeah. <sighs> Which I will I will come back to. I will I will come back to near the end of our, us talking about it about that whole plot idea. So it sounds like England and the U.S. just wanted to get in on that kaiju monster mania. It is a little bit of what happened, yeah. So you asked why this movie was even made, right? Have you ever heard of a movie called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms? I've heard of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Is that the same thing? No, it is not the same thing. Although, I think that the person who named Beast from 20,000 Fathoms did not understand that 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is named... Like, the name 20,000 Leagues is... They're traveling... 20,000 leagues while underneath the sea. It's not a measurement of how deep they are. And I think that Beast from 20,000 Fathoms was named after named by someone who did not understand that. <laughs> Is the ocean ever? Sure. The okay. the titular beast. We will be watching the movie Beast from 20,000 Fathoms at some point. It's on our list. Uh it's from 1953. And the reason I bring it up is because it's actually a very, very important movie in the genre. Beast from 20,000 Fathoms is when they were making Godzilla, they essentially said, we want to make a Japanese version of Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. In fact, the original plot of Godzilla was to do Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. So it wasn't even the first kaiju movie. It wasn't the first kaiju movie because, no, Godzilla wasn't. (laughs) He was a copycat. Kinda. They tried to make it a copycat and then they didn't. So, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms is very important, like, central to the creation of the genre. And the director of Beast from 20,000 Fathoms then went on to make Gorgo. Oh no, how the mighty have fallen. Yes. And that is actually kind of key to the plot of Gorgo. Because the director, Eugène Laurier, or Eugène Laurier, I don't know. I don't know any French. Um, Eugene Laurier. You just said it the most un <laughs> unfrench way you could. Laurier. He Laurier. He his daughter said that she was sad that the monster in Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms dies at the end, and so he wanted to make a movie where the monster does not get killed at the end, which is kind of the source of all of the only interesting stuff in the movie is him making that decision. The other part of how this movie was made was the King Brothers, which I don't think I mentioned them in our Rodan episode, but they are two two guys 
guys. Two wild and crazy guys <laughs> who uh, were in charge of a lot of the distribution of Japanese movies in America, especially kaiju movies. And they kind of made it big with Rodan coming to America. So these two guys, they realized that there's a lot of money behind these monster movies. And so they decided they wanted to throw together a production. I just have a picture of two guys sitting around with big old cigars and like a cup of whiskey in the middle of the day being like, you know how we can get tons of money, right? Yeah. Gotta make our own monster movie. That's where the money's at. King Brothers Productions was founded by Frank and Maurice Kaczynski, who changed their last name to King. And they decided they wanted a monster movie of their own. And I have always had the same image as you, of just them sitting around with cigars and drinking whiskey. and Exactly. I thought you were just going to like ignore the fact no, that no, I no, said no, that. No, you no. just like moved on. Sorry. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so it was Gorgo was a creation of the King Brothers saying, we want to make a monster movie. And Eugene Laurier saying, I want a second chance to make my daughter not sad, essentially. <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened. It was his one chance to succeed as a father figure. Yeah. No. Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about his personal life. It was originally going to be set in Japan. There were originally Japanese investors for the movie. And then they saw what the monsters looked like. And then the Japanese investors backed out. Because they saw what the monsters looked like. I don't know for sure. But possibly. I say monsters. Spoiler, there's two. Um, and then they decided to move it to France. What That wasn't ideal because France dev- doesn't have any major ports. And they, that was kind of important to the plot is for them to do it in a port city. Mm-hmm. So then they moved to the UK after they were offered an, a healthy check from the British Lion Columbia distributing company. I think you mean they were offered a healthy check from Mr. Dorkin of Dorkin Circus. It does kind of mirror the events of the movie, doesn't it? Just a bit. Yeah, that's weird. But yeah, that that is how the movie, this movie, such as it is, came to be. Are you saying it doesn't even qualify as a movie? I'm, is that what you're implying? I have a low opinion of this film. And I guarantee that a good portion of that is how many times I've seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm good after one. Yeah. It was fun. But I think I don't need to watch it again. I don't think I, it would have been improved by a second run through. Certainly not. Certainly, certainly not. And for anyone who does enjoy Gorgo, more power to you. We're not saying you can't enjoy this movie. It just wasn't our cup of tea. Oh, Gorgo's a ton of fun if you're sitting around making fun of it. But if... if you just like ju- undid what I said. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that a lot of people really like Gorgo as a source of mockery. So you're saying nobody can enjoy Gorgo just because they want to see some good revenge. I mean, there's there's some good stuff in the movie. We'll get to it. Okay. Well, then why don't we get to it? I suppose it is possible that someone likes it unironically. <laughs> and to you, I'm sorry for what I said and also your bad opinions. You're so rude today. <laughs> um, okay, so the movie starts out with... A ship out trying to scavenge a sunken ship. And there's this large patch of bubbles out in the distance. Right as this diver is getting back on board, a volcano rises from the water. Yep, that's how it works. And is never explained again. Nope, they just say it's an unexpected volcanic activity. Yeah, it would be unexpected off the coast of Ireland. Where a volcano just suddenly rises from the water. There's no volcanoes in Ireland (laughs) that I know of. Maybe there are. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> Pull up a um a map of the tectonic plates. <laughs> I could also just search for are there volcanoes in Ireland? Or you can pull up a map of the tectonic plates. Nowhere near Ireland. It's kind of in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah. So after this event occurs, the boats I called it propeller thingy. I don't know what they're called. Uh the propeller thingy (laughs) it's broken they can't move we're a godzilla podcast not a boat podcast (laughs) and the people on the boat are worried because there's not enough food and water to last until they can get it fixed and get going again 
So the two main characters, Sam and Joe, the most Americana yeah. <laughs> names ever. Yeah. And as the like leading capitalist forces in the movie, they are also just kind of America in the 50s and 60s embodied. <laughs> and I feel like this is a running theme for our show at this point, but it took me a long time to start telling these two apart. Yeah. They just look like bland American lead actors from the 50s and 60s. Guy number one and guy number two. Guy number one and guy number two were played by. <laughs> um, so Captain Joe Ryan was played by Bill Travers, who is a British actor, not an American actor. He actually did do a pretty good American accent. I he didn't did. really catch that it was a fake accent. I don't know much about him, and I didn't recognize any of the movies he's been in. But he was an animal rights activist, so that's fun. Yeah. And it kind of fits the theme of the movie. It fits the theme of the movie. So. Yeah. I like it. And Sam Slade. Slade is a cool name. Like, Sam Slade. That makes the name cool. That's like a villain name. It is. Sam was played by William Sylvester, an American TV and film actor. And he had a role in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, cool. I was about to ask if he was related to Sylvester Stallone, and then I realized it's not that guy's last name. It's his no. first name. No, this is... Oh, yeah. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Yeah, correct. <laughs> of no relation to this other guy with the same <laughs> first name as his last name. So, Sam and Joe, they head out on a rowboat and go ashore to get supplies and kind of talk to the dock master and let him know they're going to be stuck there for a few days. Right. On the way, they pass these weird dead fish that look straight out of a Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, they look so weird. They've got, like, pointy noses and little, like, arms. And kind of, like, bulbous, bubbly lips. And... Yeah, it's really bizarre. <laughs> and, again, never explained. Never explained. I think that they're just, like, ancient creatures that were living. I think, I think maybe this movie, I think maybe this movie has a hollow earth. I was just starting to think that, too. Like, that's weird. <laughs> I like it. Sure. Sequel. <laughs> I don't know how many people believed in the hollow earth in 1961 or if this was just them coming up with random garbage. Probably. But one of them picks up one of the fish and it, it just kind of flops like rubber. Yeah, it, they should not have touched it. They looked <laughs> fine floating. <laughs> they looked better floating. That's fair. But they, he should not have interacted with it. <laughs> So they get to shore and they go to see the harbor master, and instead they meet Sean, who's this what would you say seven year old boy, ten year old boy somewhere in there. He was thirteen at time of filming. He was so small. How is he thirteen? He was played by Vincent Winter, who's just a Scottish actor who was a successful child oh, actor. That was his. That was his actual accent, I guess. <laughs> It sounded so stilted because he was monotone the whole time. So I was assuming that he was trying so hard to put on an accent that he couldn't put in intonation as well. My notes say he was a successful child actor. I'm assuming for other movies because he was, I don't think this is a good example of his acting skill. <laughs> That's fair. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. I mean, if you don't have great material to work with, you can only do so much. Exactly. Much as an actor. Exactly. So they meet Sean. Sean is, I guess, 13. He mm. introduces himself as the assistant of the acting harbor master, who's this government man who's been sent out, whose name is McCartan, and he's an archaeologist. Sean shows them to his back room where he's got all this cool sunken treasure stuff. He's got, like, Viking stuff, yeah. a Viking ship. He has this wooden, it looks like the front of a Viking snip, a viking ship yes <laughs> shaped like some sort of snake or dragon and he calls it ogra the sea spirit and then mccartan enters he had been away and he says he sends sean away because he's super rude he's, by the way he's i don't like him I don't think you're supposed to. He, no, I don't like the acting. Like, well, yeah, that's he's too. just like staring constantly. And I don't think I ever see him blank in the movie. And he's just mean to everyone. I don't like him. He sends Sean away and is talking to Joe and Sam. And he says, there's no ships allowed in the harbor for more than 24 hours without a permit. But he can help them getting some fresh water so they can get out of here sooner. 
And Sam and Joe don't believe him about this whole permit thing. No, because it's a tiny little island. And I guess they would know better. To me, it sounds like, what what are you going on that you think this is wrong? But I don't know anything, again, if you can't tell by me calling it a propeller thingy. We're not a boat <laughs> podcast. That they would probably know yeah. whether that's a thing or not, since this is their profession. McCartan, this is my last actor for a bit, was played by Christopher Rhodes. Christopher Rhodes is what they call him in the credits of the movie. But Wikipedia has him by a different name. Oh, no. Sir Christopher George Rhodes, third baronet. Baronet? Baronet. Don't you know. D- does he see the third seat? Baronet? Oh, I thought he... You can oh, no, that's a clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> he's a third clarinet. He's No, you can stick him on the end of your rifle and then stab him into someone. <laughs> he's the third seat clarinet at the <laughs> local symphony. <laughs> Uh, and he's just, he's an English actor. He was in a few things, but. Is that like a mini baron? I think it might be. <laughs> a baronet. <laughs> I think it might be. I didn't look it up. Maybe I'll look it up. Um, they should make like substitutes or TAs for teachers. They should be called like teacherettes. <laughs> Instructettes. The baronet is the lowest hereditary title of the British order. Uh, with the status of a commoner, but able to use the prefix sir. So he's, it means nothing. He's a noble by title only. Yes, that's what it means, is you can call him sir and that's it. I mean, I would like to be able to go around and make people call me sir. No, I, yeah. With no other qualifications. Yeah. It'd be kind of fun. It's like getting a doctorate without having to go through the work. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> So because Sam and Joe don't believe McCartan, they, he's called McCartney in all of my notes because I didn't correct it to McCartan <laughs> until we saw the credits roll. So I might accidentally call him McCartney, but his name is McCartan. His name is McCartan. So Sam and Joe go out on a rowboat to talk to the fishermen. And when they're asking them questions, they pretend like they don't speak English. So one of them, I didn't know who at this point. Um, is translating into Gaelic. Gaelic, yeah. I think it's Gaelic. They even say Gaelic. Okay. And the fisherman said, McCartan does all the talking on the island, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah. You could just say no comment. Yeah. <laughs> but they we, do mention... Oh, go ahead. We have one man on this island who can talk, <laughs> and that's him. Uh, but they do mention that two divers haven't come back up yet, so they're assuming they're lost. Just then, a diver floats up to the surface, and it turns out he's dead, and he's holding some sort of gold coins. And I think it's Joe who says he clearly died of fright. He cl- he died of fright! He can tell at a glance. And also, he was fine. Like, he was breathing and alive when he came up to the surface, and then he died in their arms. So was he afraid of Americans? <laughs> I didn't get that he died in their arms because I just thought it was such bad acting that we were watching his chest go up and down, but they're saying he's clearly dead. That's also possible. (laughs) Very equally possible. Because I actually thought he was unconscious at first and then they're like, he's dead. I was like, oh, okay. It it happens so sudden. (laughs) But they do assume that these gold coins are what McCartan is trying to keep them from. Right. Trying to scare them away before they can also discover this treasure. Correct. So Sam and Joe go diving to try to investigate And while in the water, they see a giant monster. So there was actually an action sequence during this part that was cut from the movie. Oh, really? uh, I wasn't able to get a copy of it myself. I wasn't able to find it. But we do have, like, the original screenplay. Mm -hmm. You have, like, two copies of this movie. Neither of them have the deleted scenes. They No, they never filmed it. It Oh, got it. It was written in. They never filmed it. Got it. But uh, I just think that some of these cut sequences are very funny and would have made the movie more exciting. Because I think the worst sin of this movie is the it's... The pacing is so bad. Very boring. Yes. Uh, um, what, wait, what did Michael say? We were talking to the, about this movie to your brother and he said, all I can remember about the movie is that they spend a lot of time on a boat. Yes. <laughs> that is appropriate. <laughs> and you're like, I think that just sums up the movie. Yeah. They spend a lot of time on a boat. But the action sequence that was supposed to be here is that Sam and Joe would be, as I found mentioned online, this is the wording online, menaced 
by an octopus and a killer whale. What? It would not have made the movie make more sense, but it would have been more fun. Well, if you kind of go with the whole Hollow Earth thing, I could see it. With killer whales. Killer whales are real. Okay, but they could have done like a kraken octopus and like a mutated whale thing. I don't know. I've seen the special effects in this movie. I am not convinced that they could have. But maybe by killer whale, they don't mean orca. Maybe by killer whale, they mean a murderous whale. A whale with a gun. And an eye patch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Probably not. (laughs) But now I want that. I do too. (laughs) Definitely would have made this movie better. So Sean comes to see Sam and Joe on their ship and he says, McCartan wants to see you and tells them, well, just so you guys know, that permit was a lie. Duh. He's automatically more loyal to these people he had one conversation with than he is to his own people. Yes. I, I, this whole plot line, not that, okay, this movie's very boring and very short, so I don't necessarily think we should cut plot lines, but this whole plot line serves zero purpose, I oh, think. Oh, Sean. No, the whole McCartan not giving them, I guess it gives them a reason to stick around on the island, but I don't understand why they have this whole plot line. Yeah, I guess they could have cut out all the Irish stuff altogether and they just were diving for treasure and found a monster and decided yeah. to take him home. Why didn't they do that? The shorter this movie could be, the better. <laughs> I was going to say, this is already a pretty short movie. Maybe they were really just trying to fight to make it movie length. It feels like it should be a sh- like a, a short film. Right? It feels like it should be like a 20 minute movie. I mean, Mothra made the same plot. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's move move on. We'll come back to this. So the Irishmen are going out to kill the shark, quote unquote, that killed the the diver. McCartan accuses Sam and Joe of snooping. And they accuse him of lying, to which he doesn't really say anything. He just accepts that. Yeah. But McCartan tells them they need to leave after getting their fresh water. Not that they really can. They still have a broken propeller thingy. Yeah. Except that it suddenly is working. They never tell us that they fixed it. But it is working sooner. Like soon in the movie. So maybe it is fixed. I don't know. But just as they're having this conversation. Gorgo is spotted. His head pops out of the water. And a man spears him in the head. It's true. (laughs) First shot is by man. Let's look at a picture of Gorgo. Well he did kill these divers before. The man speared him in the head, so. That's true. Unless it was a shark. Maybe they were scared to death by a shark and then Gorgo appeared. Maybe it was the killer whale. <laughs> the whale assassin. <laughs> the whale assassin. Here's a picture of Gorgo. We just saw this. I know. Just so you can remember what he looks like. Well, right now we only see his head. He's about to come out of the water. Yeah, his head looks fine. His head looks fine. He's got little fins on his the side of his head, like flappy ears. He's got like teeth that are not shaped like anyone's teeth. His hands are huge. His, his hands, hands are the size of his head. I'm barely exaggerating. Spoilers. He's a young creature. And I want to say that that is how we should have known that he was young, is how big his hands are. Kind of like a dog or a yeah, cat. Yeah, I can see it. Except that his older uh, counterpart that shows up in the movie, again, spoilers, has the exact same hands. We're doing a lot of pushing the cart before the horse in this episode. I know. I know. But yeah, he's kind of goofy looking. He's got some cool concepts. I really like he's got this alligator tail. Yeah. So he has the spines of an alligator that go down his back and lead into a tail. So mm-hmm. it almost looks like they chopped off the back of an alligator and glued it on. Yeah. But I think that's the coolest part of this design. Yeah. I really like that alligator aspect to him. I agree. So Gorgo does come out of the water and starts crushing boats with people in them and comes ashore. The men are shooting at Gorgo and Sean shouts, no! Um, Joe and Sam start throwing torches and Sean tries to stop them. And everyone's joining in and throwing things at Gorgo until he retreats. And one thing I did notice, they use a lot. I think Gorgo doesn't like fire. And we'll come back to this later. But sure, he came out of the water after people had gone out into the water in rowboats holding torches. Yeah. And the thing that makes him retreat right now is torches. And we'll, we'll touch back on this later. But that's a thing that I noticed early on that I think he just doesn't like fire. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like maybe Sean is 
director Eugene Laurier. You uh, say it worse every time. <laughs> putting his daughter in the movie, right? Like, I can see it, yeah. Sean kind of is his daughter's opinion. Yeah, and I feel like that is a character that's utilized in Godzilla movies a lot. You get that with the, or with kaiju movies a lot. You get that with the new American movies as Millie Bobby Brown. You get that in the Gamera trilogy with the little boy who mm-hmm. identifies as Gamera. Mm-hmm. Um, Mothra is usually represented by the two little priestesses, sure. but she also kind of gets that where she has humans that associate with her and defend her staunchly. So I think that's a like, common thing to do. And in the first Godzilla movie, you get that with... Um, I was just about to say. <laughs> Dr. Yamane. Yamane who is kind of like the defender of the giant monster. Yeah, I was about to say, Dr. Yamane is all depressed in a dark room because he doesn't (laughs) want Godzilla dead. (laughs) So I think that's a common trope in... It is, it is. In kaiju movies. Um, The other thing I want to say about Gorgo is who played him. Uh, There were four suit actors for Gorgo and our spoiler other monster. Um, But we only know the name of one of them, who is Mick Dillon. That sounds like such a fake name. It does. Mick Dillon was a stunt double for actors like Buster Keaton, which is... I've heard that name. Buster Keaton was a major comedic actor in the silent era. Mm. It was Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin were kind of the two big like comedic actors at the time. Uh, and he did a lot of stunts. So if you're a stunt double for Buster Keaton, that kind of is a big deal. He also was a stunt double for Ringo Starr, apparently. What? I can only think of a couple movies where he could possibly, where Ringo Starr could have possibly needed a stunt double. Maybe it was a real life stunt double. Not stunt double, but like a body double. No, I don't think so. I think he was a stunt, because Help, the Beatles movie Help has a lot of action scenes that he maybe needed a stunt double for. Is there a Beatles movie called Yellow Submarine? Yeah, but that's a cartoon. Oh. Hey! (laughs) I knew it! I knew the name of a Beatles movie! Um, he also had a few other monster roles, too. Uh, there's an American movie called Day of the Triffids, which is about, like, plants coming to life and killing people. He played a triffid. And he also was once a Dalek in Doctor Who. I love that. He was the one working the plunger. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> well, especially, because he was a Dalek in 1965. So the, Literally a plunger. The especially lo-fi, Yes. This is, so it's probably the next morning. The men are, from the island are all gathered around McCartan. They're demanding pay and passage to leave. And he says, don't worry, you guys will get your pay, but I can't promise you're going to be able to leave. Which obviously incenses a bunch of them. Joe and Sam show up to talk to him, and he pulls them into his house to talk. To like get away from the mob that's gathering. And one of them asks him, well, why won't you let them leave? And he... Doesn't really answer, but they show him the gold coins they found. And they're like, you afraid they would talk too much? <laughs> so they kind of blackmail him. They're like, well, we can take care of your monster problem in exchange for some of your treasure. And then they make him like open up his safe and show them stuff. And they're like, we'll take this as a down payment. <laughs> we'll, we'll take this golden goblet. <laughs> He's like, you've got to be kidding me. That thing's worth a fortune. And they're like, exactly. I think maybe I figured out what the point of this plot line is. Hmm. And it's to paint the two of them as greedy as possible. Because they're going to make a lot of money later on from the circus. And they are making a ton of money now from this ancient golden goblet. I can't, I can't tell if the director intended for these guys to be sympathetic or not. Yeah. Because they're super not, but it feels like they're treated like they are. I feel like maybe the director had bigger ideas than the movie was able to portray. Or like it was originally shot with them as the villains and then the producers came in like, no, 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 no. You guys have to make your heroes heroes. It's either that or he wanted, uh, we'll talk about it later. Okay. So they leave with their down payment, quote unquote. <laughs> and it turns out Sean was listening at the window and he tells Joe and Sam that they're doing a bad thing. And they just kind of brush him off. And Sam and Joe start talking about using nets and dynamite to capture the monster and wonder how much he'd be worth alive. So that's kind of where we start going in that direction with it. Yeah, yeah. So Joe goes down in a diving bell 
And we had this whole discussion watching this movie about Andrew no. would never, ever, ever do this. Mm-mm. Okay. I, I don't want to be in this tiny enclosed space underwater. Definitely not with a monster around. Okay. With, with a monster but... around, no. But I think it'd be fun in a normal setting. Like, I would go down in the diving bell. I could see the cage because it just, the diving bell feels like you're going down into the water in a pre-made coffin. Hey, you don't have to worry about my coffin. I'm already in it. You're so morbid. I just, that's the, like, the fear I have is it just feels too coffin-y. See, I feel like you have, like, this defensive barrier between you and everything else. So you get to get this view of all these really cool things that kind of scare you without actually being at risk. The same way of going into a shark cage, which is something I've always wanted to do. But in a shark cage, you have your air tank. Mm-hmm. So if something goes wrong, like you have your own source of air, if there's a leak in your diving bell, I don't think there's anything you could do about that. I mean, they might go down with air tanks just in case. Maybe. I don't know how they do it now. Yeah. In this movie, they didn't, but that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. It just scares me. So he goes down this diving bell. I don't know what his plan is, but they do see Gorgo. They don't know what his plan is. <laughs> So Gorgo grabs the diving bell and is like kind of shaking it and crushing it. And there's leaks starting to come in from everywhere. And they try to pull him back up with the with the rigging, whatever it's called, the, the pulley. Sure. But they can't pull him up. So instead they throw a net down and are able to catch Gorgo somehow. Plot reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? So we cut to a news headline. Prehistoric monster of Nora Island caught off the coast of Ireland. So this is the first time we hear about the name of the island. Yeah. I believe it's Nara Island. I think it's N-A. Oh, I think I just had bad yeah. handwriting on that one. Yeah. Uh, Nara Island is not a real island. What? But Nara is an anagram of Aran Island, which is a real island. And I could see them doing that, yeah. And it might have been where they filmed i'm not positive about that but you did say they were filmed on location yeah the irish scenes definitely were filmed on location and i think they also filmed in london for the london scenes so that makes sense doesn't nara mean like deer in japanese Japanese? yeah it does yeah i have a feeling they may have just not changed it from when the plot was had them in japan now that (laughs) that makes sense now that you say that and also the volcano if it was originally supposed to be in Japan. Yeah. But see, things are starting to come together. It doesn't make sense for it to suddenly like sprout from the bottom of the ocean and be up above the waterline. No, you it know, doesn't. At least it makes sense for there to be a volcano. Yeah, I understand the decision making a little better. That was my very vague, like, from when I watched Naruto, there was a character who's named Nara and he was deer themed. Nara Park is in, in Nara City. Nara Park is a place where you can meet a lot of deer in Japan. Well, I have the association right, but I got it from Naruto, so it's only like a vague recollection of a thing I watched in middle school. Sure, sure. So the news lines continue. They say that scientists believe that this creature was released from a, quote, vast suboceanic cavern far beneath the Earth's crust by unprecedented volcanic eruptions which occurred in the area last week, unquote. They they were certainly unprecedented. (laughs) It created one. Some say it's an Irish hoax, and the Irish authorities are sending paleontologists to claim him for Ireland. So the two professors from Ireland, Professor Flaherty and Professor Hendricks, I'm never going to be able to say Flaherty. Flaherty. Yeah, it's it's kind of a hard name. Flaherty. It's a very Irish name. It really is. Professor Flaherty was played by Bruce Seton. Seton? Anyway, he's a British actor. And then uh, Professor Hendricks was played by a Joseph O'Connor. That, to me, is the most Irish-sounding name. Joseph O'Connor. <laughs> um, who's an Irish actor who was best known for pl- Shakespearean plays. Makes sense. I would say Gorgo, Shakespeare. They're very similar. Very highbrow, those Very two. highbrow, yeah. The ironic thing is neither of those are highbrow. A little bit, yeah. Shakespeare makes a lot of, like, body humor. Yeah. He goes very blue. Yeah. <laughs> So the professors come aboard the ship and they ask Joe and Sham to bring Sham. Sham? They ask Joe and Sam to bring oh, Sham. to the University of Dublin. They promise that they'll be well compensated, but they do warn them that 
Gorgo skin needs to be kept wet with constant stream of water. And Joe and Sam obviously agree. And they're like, oh yeah, we'll leave tonight. And then as soon as they're out of earshot, Joe tells Sam that they were offered more from a circus in London, which is Dorkin's Circus. Right. So obviously they're going to head to London. Obviously. You need more money. (laughs) And this is again where that whole like Gorgo's afraid of fire thing kind of comes through. The fact that his skin needs to be kept constantly wet makes me think that it's damaging for his skin to dry out. So fire is probably pretty bad for him. Could be partially because he's young. And a sea monster. What I'm saying is that he's not as protected. Mm, That makes sense. Because he's young. And apparently Sean, the 13-year-old boy, had snuck aboard their ship and made it. I guess they're still in Ireland. Yeah. But Sean had snuck aboard their ship and wants them to return Gorgo to the sea. He starts to cut the rope holding Gorgo down, but he's stopped by Sam and Joe. And he's like, I'm saving you guys. So they put a guard on Gorgo so that Sam, Sean can't go release him later. Yeah, so they exactly. must be out at sea at this point because they can't just send him home Oh uh, Yeah, they must be. They don't really establish that, but I think we're supposed to assume that they're not at Nara Island anymore. Yeah. There's a few shots here, not of them putting water on Gorgo, which I, I don't know how they're putting water on him, but we do see some water going off of Gorgo into the ocean. Mm, I didn't notice a, that. In a couple shots. But one of them, Sam or Joe asks, have you ever seen him before? And Sean says, you don't have to see him to know he's there. I don't know what that means. Because clearly Gorgo is Santa Claus. Gorgo is either Santa Claus or Cthulhu. <laughs> Has been coming to Sean in his dreams. (laughs) And then bubbles start appearing in the water again. And one of the guards screams. And Gorgo has clawed him. And he's dead, I think? Yeah, he is. Okay, he's dead. The bubbles in the water are the water. Is the water coming off of him and going into the ocean. I thought that was Ogre. No. Which we'll get to later. We will get to that later. But uh, the reason I keep bringing up the water going into the ocean is because that is also... A thing that will come up later. So they arrive in London. Beautiful London. <laughs> so Flaherty and Hendrix are talking with Sam and Joe about, and they're questioning the safety of bringing him to London. They keep bringing up very good points. Like, he could have parasites. Uh, what if he breaks free? We need to study him to make sure this is safe. And the circus owner who's also there is like, don't worry, don't worry. We got it. We'll... We'll take care of all of that. You guys will obviously have access to study him. It'll be fine. So Mr. Dorkin, the owner of Dorkin Circus, is the last actor that I, I want to talk about real fast. Played by Martin Benson. He uh, was a British actor, best known for a role in The King and I. Don't know what his role was in The King and Which I. Which version? Uh, the original one, I think. Hmm. And he was in... Uh, in James Bond, he was killed by Oddjob in a movie. In a movie I haven't seen. Oddjob is the guy who throws his hat. Because oh. <laughs> it has a razor blade on the edge. Oh, in Goldfinger. Never mind. He was killed by Oddjob in Goldfinger. So he probably was in the original, like, theater production of The King and I. Because The King and I is the musical version. And then Anna and the King is the, like, stage production version. The... Oh non-musical version i really like that story so i've seen a lot of different versions of it king and i the original movie was 1956 so he could have been in that yeah only a few years earlier so that makes sense yeah so they have a scene a pretty long extended scene of gorgo being driven through this mostly empty london town and he's tranquilized which they comment on he isn't moving at all it kind of just looks like a parade float yeah. And one of the announcers says, I could use a little tranquilizer myself. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I don't know what's up with it's that. It's like a weird, dark humor. <laughs> I don't get it. And they do mention they don't know why he's named Gorgo, but they do talk about it later. So these scenes where Gorgo's being driven through the streets were shot on a Sunday uh, morning. When everyone's in church? Yeah, when there weren't many people around. And the King brothers hoped that they could attract a big crowd by shooting on the weekend so that they wouldn't have to pay for any more extras. Greed is just, there's so many like echoes between real life and this movie, yeah. <laughs> the whole production of this movie, the, the just the cheapness and yeah. the greed of it. Yeah. It's just kind of funny. I agree. Pay your actors. Yeah. 
So because they didn't want to pay for any extras, those scenes just look weird and empty. It's like everyone's talking about how exciting it is. And in reality, there's like five people standing watching this motionless lizard being driven through. Or they have like 10 extras who are kind of lined up along a street, all like cheering and trying to get a look. And they have, they keep cutting to shots of people like at the barbershop, like staring open mouths at this thing go by. And then they go back to the streets where it's nobody looking at this thing. Yeah. Mr. Dorkin is holding a press conference and one of the few women in the movie, one of the few speaking women is a press woman. And she just says, um, that the Irish have been starting legal proceedings to get Gorgo back. And one of the other press members asked why he named him Gorgo, to which he says, after the Greek Gorgon, because any who look at him would freeze in terror. Sure. The real reason why Gorgo is called Gorgo is because he's named after the Gorgosaurus, which is just a T-Rex-like monster. Oh, cool. That's a better answer than the Greek thing. It's way better. Although I can see somebody in London in 1961 naming something after a Greek monster because they're obsessed. I I agree with that. Europe is kind of, in general, very obsessed with, especially at this time, with Greek and Rome and trying to be the continuation of those. Yes. That is for a different podcast. <laughs> I could go into a long discussion of that. Oh, I could too. We spent a good chunk of time on that in my old English class. So Gorgo arrives at the circus and they're unloading him and they're untying him. He's still tranked. And then somebody goes to take a picture with one of those cameras with the old fashioned flash. Mm-hmm. And it makes that big noise. Yeah. And wakes him up. And he starts destroying things. Sam even says, that's a stupid idea. (laughs) So they come out with flamethrowers that they're using against him. And he's chased into his enclosure they have set up. Right. Again, he seems to be afraid of fire. Yes. This is also a sequence in which an action scene was cut. What was supposed to happen? Uh, Gorgo fights an escaped elephant. He did trample an elephant in the scene. There was a shot of an elephant. later scene, something like that. Yeah. There was a shot in a, of an elephant. He was supposed to have a whole on, full on oh, fight with it. There was also some elephant noises being going on in the background too. There were elephant noises in the background, but also Gorgo's roar is very clearly just a pitch down elephant. I and, can hear it. And pitch down lion. Yeah. Used not at the same time. So his roar changes very drastically from moment to moment. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with that because like... A dog can bark and it can growl. Yeah, that's true. So I get that, but it still is not great. So crowds are coming in and they're all paying to go sit in the stands and just watch Gorgo. Kind of like, think SeaWorld, anyone who's been there or seen (laughs) scenes from it. It's just a bunch of people kind of up in these stands watching this center area where there's just an animal. And they're all laughing. Yeah. That's, That's what I don't get. Why are you guys all laughing at this animal? Like, I don't go to the zoo and laugh at the penguins. It's such a weird thought. I don't like, like, I don't get it. <laughs> they got feathers. <laughs> They're in water. So Joe and Sam are talking and Sam's worried. The animals are all going crazy and uh, Professor Flannery calls and tells them he's found something. So they have got to hurry over. When they get there, um, they're talking and Professor Hendrick says that Turns out Gorgo's actually in early infancy and probably there's some sort of adult around. Wherever there's a baby, there's usually a mom. Yeah. And the adult's probably more than 200 feet tall, whereas Gorgo's like, what, 30 feet? Gorgo is small. And actually, I... Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) I... It's so specific. I thought I had a specific height in my notes, but I didn't. But both of them kind of change drastically, even from shot to shot. It's, yeah, it would be hard to figure out. But I actually wanted to say about Gorgo being small means that all the sets that Gorgo interacts with have to be much bigger and have more detail for it to look right. No, that's true. And because of that, a lot of the scenes with, or a lot of the shots where Gorgo's interacting with something actually look all right. Yeah. They look okay. I would say, I wonder how much... They were planning around the fact that they needed to drive a Gorgo through the streets of London. I bet that was a big part of it, yeah. That's part of where they got their scale from. Yeah. 
And they knew they'd have to come out with a, a an adult version later in the movie. Exactly. So back in Ireland, we see a new monster rise from the sea, and it's Ogra. Who looks exactly the same. Except I, for bigger. I wouldn't be surprised if it was just the same suit. Shot at different, like, distances. Exactly. I'm pretty sure that's what they did. But I think that's something we didn't mention before. Gorgo and Ogra, this new monster, are both played by a suit. Like, yes, that talked, is true. We talked. I mentioned that someone played Gorgo, but we didn't mention that it's a suit. You don't get suit monsters in Western movies very often, so that is actually very cool. Yeah, and I would say that the monster itself is not the worst part of this movie. It's Absolutely, actually pretty well done. Absolutely. You don't see any giant hoses coming out of their mouths so they, they can breathe fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So she comes out and she's all crushing buildings and stuff. And she collapses the house over McCartan. So that's the end of his storyline. Goodbye, McCartan. <laughs> so Professor, it's either Flaherty or Hendrick, one of the two, is talking to this military officer, Admiral Brooks. And reports that there's been no and as they're doing this there's a report that comes in that there's been no communication from narl island for at least three days so they send out a military vessel which spots ogre and fires at her um sam and joe are summoned by the military to give information about gorgo because they're hoping that that can help them fight ogre who i don't think is ever named in the movie no but we get the name from the uh from sean talking about the sea serpent oh that's right so I don't think we ever named the monster that in the movie, but that's where the name that makes sense. comes from. So they're summoned by the military to give information, and they're told that Ogre is heading to London. They kind of plotted her path, and she's heading directly towards London, and that Nara Island has been destroyed. Joe theorizes, well, that we have been spraying Gorgo with constant stream of water, so maybe we left some sort of trail for her to follow. Yeah. And then they get a report in that they're pretty sure she's dead. End of movie. Problem solved. Spoilers, she's not. No. Which also is something that's very cool about Ogre in general is she's pretty much indestructible. Yeah. You don't see that in Western movies very often. The monster usually can get killed by Big Bomb. But we did know that this was kind of the point of this movie. Exactly. According to the director. Exactly. So we see her fighting against these ships and jets, and she capsizes an aircraft carrier, which mm-hmm. is pretty impressive, mm-hmm. with everybody aboard, quote unquote. Yes. Sam recommends just letting Gorgo go, but... I was about to say it looked really good, and then I realized the capsizing of the aircraft carrier, and then I remembered that I was thinking of a similar thing that happened in Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> which looked better. Which, yes. If you just imagine this movie as Godzilla vs. Kong, it looks a lot better. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Just a movie from... <laughs> 50 years later? 60 seven, years 60 later years on later. the dot? Mm-hmm. Again, Sam recommends letting Gorgo go, but Joe says they can handle an overgrown animal. That's basically exactly what he said. Pretty much. And the Admiral just dismisses them. Sam it goes to let Gorgo go on his own. He's just gonna... Un- open up his enclosure and just let him go and sean actually comes to stop him and says he'll kill you and joe stops him and knocks him out knocks sam out yes knock sam out sorry not sean (laughs) that'd be mean (laughs) he's like twice his size yeah i would believe it from these protagonists though so they send out more ships to fight ogre they send out torpedoes subs firing torpedoes and they set up these nets in these like underwater mines and then she just destroys them all. And they're just the most boring action scenes. They show the same shots of these ship cannons like aligning multiple times. It's like the exact same clip and they just put it in every single shot of them fighting Ogre. Faithful listeners will remember us having the same complaint uh, during Rodan, <laughs> which the King brothers also had their hands in. So I didn't know that. Well, the King Brothers distributed it. Oh, in America. that's right, that's right. But they didn't help produce it. They didn't help produce it. But I'm wondering if they were like, "Oh, that's a money making or a money saving strategy." 
I have such a good image of the King brothers in my head. Such a positive image. Yeah, I might not be painting them in the best light, but it's Gorgo. So they release petrol into the water. As she's getting into London, they release petrol into the water and um, set it on fire. And this random bystander just catches fire through no (laughs) fault of Ogra's. (laughs) But she just keeps coming. So fire doesn't seem to affect Ogra. It's true. Which I think is kind of a cool detail. Yeah. That you don't really notice. Definitely. Also, we do have a female character. Ogra. Ogra! She's not a speaking female character. She roars a lot. Still doesn't pass the Bechdel test. No, it doesn't. The tanks are deployed and a state of emergency is called for everyone within three miles of the River Thames. And they mount this big defense at London Bridge. And then Ogra just destroys the bridge. People are running as Ogra wrecks buildings. And they fire missiles at her. And then there's a really cool shot of her wrecking Big Ben. It's kind of a lot of the things you get with all the other kaiju movies of major monuments being destroyed for kind of the sentimental reasons. Yeah, it's exciting to see a thing that you see every day getting destroyed. Or, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's cool. So I, there is an action scene that was cut that I wanted to mention. I don't know exactly where it was, so I'm just going to mention it here. It might have been on Nara Island when Ogro was on Nara Island. Mm. She was supposed to destroy a lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because the monster destroying a lighthouse is the most iconic thing from Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. So the director just wanted to do it again. And I mean, it went over well the first time. Yeah. And in the original Godzilla movie, they were going to have him destroy a lighthouse. And uh, the person who wrote the short story for Beast from 20,000 Fathoms basically threatened to be like no you can't do that so it's a thing that gets used a lot and they almost did it in here so meanwhile gorgo is in his enclosure and he's trying to break out sam and joe can't find sean and it looks like he was evacuated by some soldiers so they go out after him i don't know why he seems safest with the with the soldiers who are evacuating people i don't understand what happens here soldiers come and kidnap this child but they go chasing after this army vehicle that has Sean in it in their own car until they get slowed by a crowd. So they have to split up to go after Sean. Yeah. And Sean, the next time we see him, is just kind of hiding. It looks like almost a, a, in front of a bank behind like a column. And he's just watching over a destroy shit and grinning. What happened to the soldiers? I don't know. I think they just like, okay, there's a crowd. Follow them. Where happened to the car? I don't I don't understand. It's not well thought out. No. But Joe finds him and pulls him away. There's a lot of shots of Ogre knocking things onto extras. There's collapsing walls onto them, debris falling on them. Yeah. A lot of shots of things falling on the extras. I recently watched a video by Jenna Nicholson about the Land Before Time movies. She's a YouTube personality. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and she talks about how every single Land Before Time movie, except for like one of them, ends with the protagonist throwing rocks on the head of the antagonist. <laughs> and I feel like that's all that Ogre is doing in this movie, is just throwing rocks on people's heads. I mean, it basically is. But there's a lot of other scenes that I really like. I think one thing I really take pleasure in in kaiju movies is the crowd scenes where it washes... Sure kind of society fall apart i really enjoy that and i think that's more of a western trope than it is a a asian trope sure we'll we'll see it done different ways in a lot of these movies like yongari had some really interesting takes on that yeah but i think that when like say americans go to do a kaiju movie they can tend to focus more on the people surviving like an apocalypse almost i agree where when like Japan goes to do a kaiju movie, a lot of the times they focus more on what are the people coming together to do to defeat the monster sure. or to deal with the monster. How are they coming together? Where Americans tend to do, how are they falling apart? American monster movies are disaster films. Yes, exactly. Japanese monster movies tend to be sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, and that's kind of the the point I was trying to get at, but in better way of saying it. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so I just I, I like. The chaos scenes, it's something I really enjoy. It shows somebody falling down the stairs as everyone's trying to rush down the stairs at the same time. One person gets pushed over the banister mm-hmm. of this, like, spiral staircase. Yep. This couple goes and jumps out a window. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's ridiculous. And by ridiculous, I mean, like, dark. <laughs> yeah. Joe and Sean are fighting their way through a crowd to get to the subway. And they end up able to jump into the subway tunnel itself right before Ogre collapses the entrance down onto the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, the reporter, this is a reporter who ever since Ogre entered London has been just doing this this background announcing through the whole thing just narrating what we're watching basically just a running commentary it's such a bad decision it's just kind of pointless because you don't need to tell us what we're seeing yeah and i when we were watching the movie i thought that i proposed the idea that it might actually be something inspired by the american version of the first godzilla movie because the lead character of that uh is a reporter and during the big destruction scenes, he kind of narrates it a bit. It's done a little better in that. It's still bad decision, <laughs> no matter what. So they also show this shot, another crowd scene I really like. There was an elated repent guy. He kept screaming at the crowd, holding a sign saying, repent, repent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has this big old grin on his face, like this euphoric grin. And then he gets trampled on actually. And this old woman is talking to this younger girl. She's like, I can't go on, go on without me. It was just very, I liked that. It was fun. (laughs) Yeah. I think those are probably some of the best scenes in the movie. I was just going to say, I think these are my favorite moments. If, if it didn't have the narrator guy. He wasn't talking through these moments. No, that's true. The military is getting ready to electrocute Ogra. Um, they're setting up an electric fence. And Joe, at this time, has caught up with Sam. And he admits, you know, I, I was wrong, Sam. I'm sorry. And Sam just gives him this friendly punch on the arm. That's like, oh, you. Such a weird way to, to like, wrap up their character arcs. I know. Like, I'm sorry for causing the deaths of thousands of people. And Sam's just like... Oh, you. It's such... So weird. And then Ogre just, like, rips right through these wires. Like, for a moment, it looks like it might do something. And she just doesn't care. Um, She gets to Gorgo, and then they just leave while the reporter does this, like, weird monologue as they walk out into the ocean. Yeah. And Gorgo's size changes rapidly. Like, as they're actually in the enclosure, he comes up to, you know, like, knee to mid-thigh area. And then when they're doing their last shot of them walking into the water, he's like a as her foot yeah like it rapidly changes their ratio it's not not great but that's the end of the movie that's the end of the movie uh, a couple of things i wanted to touch on that i didn't get to mention um eugene laurier wanted the director mm-hmm. uh he wanted no combat between the monsters and the military in the movie but the king brothers insisted and apparently in the 70s or 80s, no one's super sure on exactly what date, uh, Laurier re-edited the film to like meet his like original vision for mm-hmm. it. And But that version was never released and we don't have it. Honestly, I can't imagine a society where the... Well, I can't imagine a society. Myanmar probably wouldn't do anything about it. Sure. But that's getting a little political. <laughs> I can't imagine that they wouldn't try to stop this monster that's yeah. killing tons of people. Sure, sure. I get why it's just not realistic. If you're going to have this giant monster trample through London, you have to have the military do something. Yeah, but I think he just, he wanted it to be, he he wanted it to have a positive message, I think. And having the military there kind of undermines it. A positive message where thousands of people die. Right. He didn't want that part. He wanted to kind of ignore that part maybe oh. even let ogre in peacefully or they bring gorgo to ogre or something like that he, he wanted there to be no conflict in the movie i mean that makes sense i think i almost would have liked that version better yeah because the fight scenes weren't well done so they were kind of just there yeah but it wouldn't have had my favorite crowd scenes so you know exactly it's give and take i think here's my thoughts on the movie it's not good and <laughs> <End> the <of> sentence <laughs> <laughs> but i think there's some really interesting ideas in this movie mm-hmm. and i think that if any movie should be remade it is gorgo i would be more excited for a gorgo remake than pretty much any other movie if 
they decided to do the right thing with it, which is make it a movie about animal cruelty. I think that would be a very good movie. Because this is a movie where greedy people take an animal out out of its natural habitat, treat it terribly, and then nature says, no, you have to give it back. And then you either have to make the people who took it out of its habitat the villains. Yes. Or have a really good redemption arc because you can't just leave it at that and say like, oh, well. Yeah, you can't just. Lesson re- learned. You can't just have it waffle like it did yeah. in this movie. Yeah. I think that this movie could be saying something really cool and really important. I think at the end of the day, what happened is you had multiple different visions who all had control over this movie all fighting for control and you kind of end up with this wishy-washy mess exactly even the writers for the movie there were four writers robert l richards daniel james daniel hyatt and eugene laurier were all writers for the movie so you have four writers all with potentially different ideas of what's going on yeah you have the king brothers who are pushing for some specific things to be put in the movie or not and i think you're right it just got messy being pulled in too many directions exactly instead of having a vision and potentially a message it ends up having nothing (laughs) it ends up having good moments but the overall isn't doesn't shine exactly exactly like it could so do you recommend this movie for anyone i had fun with it i think if you go in with not super high expectations i think it could be good i think like you said before the type of, I know a lot of people who fit this. People who love D-flicks. Who yes. love bad movies for the fun of watching a bad movie. Yeah. They would love this. Again, it did make it into MST3K and that's kind of their whole shick. But again, if you go in with not high expectations, I think there's some really good moments that shine in this movie. I know you don't agree with me, <laughs> but I like, like that repent scene was just sure. very good to me. Sure. Um, And I think that you could have a lot of fun with this movie if you go in with low expectations. Absolutely. If you, like, have a bunch of people over and you're all ready to watch a pretty bad movie, you could have a lot of fun with this movie. Yeah. Um, So I definitely agree. I definitely think it would be improved by watching in a crowd. And not writing notes. (laughs) Yeah. The good thing about watching a movie in English is that I don't have to have you pause it every few seconds, not exaggerating. (laughs) <laughs> so that I could take notes without missing the subtitles. Yeah. And I think the biggest compliment I can give this movie is it's only around an hour. It doesn't overstay its welcome. <laughs> and I didn't really welcome it in in the first place. You're so pessimistic. <laughs> if you were going to write a sequel to this movie, what would the plot be? A sequel. A sequel. Because I already talked about a remake. No, a sequel. A sequel for this movie would be so all i can think about this is not necessarily a good answer to your question but there is a series of comics about gorgo and those comics are owned by the same people who make the comics about the mars attacks aliens the what do they say the beep beep those aliens the Um, one with robin williams robin williams in that movie no, he's in the TV show where the alien, the Mike and Mork and Mindy. No, yeah, show. not not Mork and Mindy. I think it was a um, Tim Burton movie. These aliens. I recognize the yeah. the image. I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. So in the comics, Ogra fights the Mars attacks aliens. Does she? Yeah, and I can't. I, that I would be into that. I really want to see that. To me, I was picturing like a um. What's that Disney movie with the invisible dragon? Pete's dragon? Pete's dragon. Either like Pete's dragon or Puff the Magic Dragon where Sean befriends Gorgo Mm -hmm. and then they just go on goofy adventures together. I could see that. It's like a TV series. I could see that. Or uh, what's that new Winnie the Pooh movie where it's about Christopher Robin who's an adult and remembering Oh, yeah. Yeah, it could be that, but Sean remembering Gorgo and then going to find him as an adult. That would be cute. I like that. But yeah, if you have any thoughts on Gorgo, did you love it? Did you hate it? Let us know what you think. Are you you mad at me for saying all the things I said? (laughs) You can reach us at our email, kaijuislandpodcast at gmail.com. 
or our Twitter, which is at Island Kaiju, or you can just search for Kaiju Island Podcast. Our intro and our outro are Manga Maniac by Olive Music. And thank you for listening. Let us all fight bravely as a team.